BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, you beautiful humans, and welcome back to the Balance Bond Podcast, Soul on Fire. I'm super stoked about today's guest, but really, when do I not say that? I'm always stoked for today's guest, but I'm really extra excited because the first podcast I was ever on, ever, ever, ever interviewed on was Jessica Mernan's podcast, The One Part Plant Podcast. Jessica and I got connected because we have the same literary agent, Sarah Pasek. You guys probably remember Sarah from episode 12 of my podcast. If you've listened to it, if you haven't, you should, because it'll put this episode into context because Jess and I were Sarah's two first clients slash authors because clients sounds like a funny word to say when you're talking about an agent author relationship. So Sarah had told me, way back when, this was like three years ago, you have to meet Jess. She's awesome. I can't believe you don't already know about her blog. And I was like, oh my God, how do I not? Her plant-based lifestyle is just right along the lines of everything that I was doing, even though I was no longer plant-based. I was super inspired, of course, and still am by beautiful, healthy recipes and all of that good stuff. So... Jess and I have kind of been side by side this whole time with both both of our book journeys, although they turned out to be really different from each other. She just released her cookbook, which, oh my God, you guys, it's beautiful. It's so gorgeous. It's the one part plant cookbook. It's... um. The food photography is insane. It inspired me to get back in the kitchen. You guys will hear this when I talk to Jess because I was just raving to her about how much it reminded me that cooking at home just makes me feel so good. And it's endorsed, of course, by Lena Dunham, who I'm probably the biggest Lena Dunham fan there is. I'm obsessed with her. So I think that's really cool. But Jess made a really good point that you can have all the celebrity endorsements that you want, but you want the book to work. You want it to really benefit the people who are purchasing it, who are looking to make changes in their life. And I think Jess has just done such a good job of putting that together. So I could rave about her for a really long time. I'm really happy that you guys get to hear our conversation. And... um I also just wanted to take this time during the intro to explain for a sec, kind of maybe if it's your first time listening or your second or third time, or maybe you've listened to all the podcasts and you still are cool with hearing this, kind of just what I started this podcast for. Because sometimes people ask me and sometimes people say, 
that I talk too much during the podcast or I'll get a review from time to time saying stuff like that. And I just wanted to remind everybody, this podcast is meant to be really conversational. Everyone I have on is my friend. So Jessica is my friend. Um, All 21 of the people who have been on previously are people who are either my good friends or in probably just two occasions, people that I knew through another friend. So um, of course, the podcasts get really conversational and I think it's really fun. And I love to let my guests shine and I want them to shine. That's why I'm having them on and sharing their story with you guys because you guys mean the most to me. You're my tribe. You're my everything. You're my supporters and my friends. And so I want to share the people who inspire me with you guys. I don't necessarily want to just shoot questions at people and make it like rapid fire, question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. I want it to be conversational and fun. So that's intentional. And I think getting to hear people in conversation is actually like one of the coolest forms of human connection that there is. I think that's why podcasts are so successful and people enjoy them so much because we all just want a little taste of human connection, whether we're having it in the moment or whether we're experiencing it from someone else. So I purposely try to keep the conversations really moving in a conversational way while also getting my guests to share from their heart and have a conversation with me. And um, of course, I always appreciate your honest feedback. And I think from my first episodes up until now, I've learned a lot. And I think I actually do wind up talking less just because I have so many things I want to hear from each of my guests. But I just wanted to clarify that because if there's ever any confusion about the tone of the podcast, now you know that it's that this is all intentional and purposeful. And that's what this podcast is all about. And that's the beauty of every podcast and every person and every blog and every book being different. So thanks for being here. It's an honor to have you guys listening. And um, I would love if you would be so kind as to rate and review the podcast, subscribe if you like it. It really, really helps with visibility and helps me be able to continue getting these rad guests to come on. So thank you so much for your support. No pressure to do any of the above if you just want to listen and be a listener and stick with that. Super cool also. So let's dive into the episode, Jessica Mernan. Let's do it. Guys, I'm so excited about today's guest, Jessica Mernan of One Part Plant. We have the coolest how we know each other story, which I'll let Jessica tell you guys in a second. But she's so special to me because we have all of these crazy connections that brought us together a couple years ago before... Her book and my book, her book just came out. We're going to talk all about it. It's really exciting. She has a foreword written by Lena Dunham. This is insane. I'm the most obsessed with her of probably anybody on the planet. (laughs) And we have the same agent, Sarah. So you guys, everybody listening knows who Sarah is from um, an earlier episode of my podcast. I never know which one to reference. I don't know if it was episode eight or nine or 10, but Sarah Pasek, she's incredible. 
Jessica and I were her two first clients and also her (laughs) only two clients that went with her to her current agency, which we will totally talk all about. So basically, Jessica is just awesome. She inspires me in so many ways. One part plant is the coolest. And I will let her introduce herself to you guys before I dive into all the questions and everything else. I mean, I feel like you just did a good introduction. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I tried. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'm Jessica from One Heart Plant. I might not be as cool as you're saying, but I'll take it. I'll take all of the cool um, references. But yeah, I mean, we got connected through Sarah. And I remember, I remember so well, I was in. I was on a road trip. I don't, and I really don't even like road trips, but I was like driving somewhere that was like anything that's more than three hours to me is considered a road trip though. So it's probably not even a road trip, but I remember Sarah texting me and she said, there's this really cool girl that I'm talking to next week. You should have her on your podcast. And, uh, she sent me your name and I Googled you. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I got to get her on. Cause at that time, and I know, you know, this is in the past, but at that time is when like shit was hitting the fan with all of your stuff in terms of changing your site and, you know, people being upset about it. So, you know, I was thankful that you came on my podcast because I mean, you were doing so much media, but I thought it was cool that you made time for someone you didn't know, (laughs) like just reached out to you. So I, I always appreciated that. Well, I was so happy to come on. And it's funny because as I was looking through your website this morning and checking out all of the 103 guests that you've had since that time, I was shocked to see that I was episode seven because now having a podcast of my own, I see how like the first several episodes, I don't know how many, probably I haven't even reached the threshold for this yet, but the first several episodes are so new as a podcaster, you like don't really know what you're doing yet. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I th- considered you such a massive professional of podcasts. <laughs> and <laughs> I like laughed so hard when I saw that I was episode seven because in my head at the time, knowing nothing about podcasts, I always tell this to people who listen to my podcast that up until like several months ago, I didn't know one thing about podcasts. I didn't listen to them. I didn't really understand them. If I was on someone else's podcast, I usually would listen, but not always. And I still was shocked that all the time people would reach out to me and say, I heard you on the One Part Plant podcast or on Katie Horwich's podcast or Katie Daleabout's podcast. Every day I get those from one of your three podcasts. And I've always been like, wow. I can't believe how many people really listen to podcasts. And now... Yeah, man. And and I'm sure you're noticing that with yours. And I mean, here's the thing. Whenever anyone tells me, I want to start a blog, I'm like, well, you could definitely do that. But I'd start a podcast because I think that if someone is going to take the time to download you and take you on a run or take you on a road trip or cook with you or take a bath and listen to you talk. I mean, that's a really engaged audience member. And and I just think you can truly really connect with your audience. And you know, yes, it's amazing to do blog posts, but 
right now with the way that internet and social media is, people just scroll on through. You know, it's it's much harder to get people's attention. And so there is something about podcasts that it it definitely feels a lot more intimate. So, you know, it's it's I think it's just such a great format for people to share. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's interesting that you say that because ever since starting this podcast, now it's been like three or four months that I've been doing this. I find myself blogging a little bit less, which is something that I struggle with because I feel guilty and I love to write. And I know that I have a blog audience that's been there for years before the podcast started. And so I, I, of course, I try to write as many blog posts per week as I can, but it is significantly less. I would say I'm probably writing like two quality blog posts a week, maybe three. A week? Yeah. Three? But I used <laughs> to do <laughs> I used to be very diligent about every day, five what? or six days a week. Yeah. Because I was I'm just sorry. That is insane. I know it is insane, but that was everything to me where other people who are in the influencer space were more about Instagram or right. for, yeah, for you more thing. about podcasts. The blog was always my thing. And for me, it's therapeutic. Like we joked right before we started recording that this conversation was going to be therapeutic for both of us because you're on your (laughs) book tour and I just love these conversations. But um, the blog is has always been therapeutic to me because it's really diary style. I sit down and share so much. So to write less on the blog has been weird, but I also feel like because of the podcast and because of like you're saying the audience of podcasts is so engaged and so dedicated. And the fact that anyone who's listening right now, it's crazy. Like you're getting to know both of us so well. And I love that because it's just different. And you're right. People scroll through things. And even like, I'm a huge reader. I love to read books and I don't read as much as I used to just because of the nature of kind of like the technology world. And I find myself reading a lot of blogs and listening to podcasts these days and running around. So I don't read as many books as I used to. And I, it's more like podcasters that are becoming like my, um, the way that I used to view authors. And I still do because authors, I mean, come on. I think we both know this are hugely important and to be admired and writing a book is everything is so inspiring. So when I do sit down and read a book, I'm so freakishly happy that I did because it's, there's nothing like consuming content that way. So that brings me to my first big question for you because your book just came out one part plant cookbook, but it's so much more than a cookbook. I was reading through it this morning and I've had it on my living room table ever since you sent it to me. And I flipped through it and I've looked at all the beautiful photos, but I really engaged with it this morning and read, I would say the whole thing because that's (laughs) kind of what I do. I sit down and I have to do something all at once or else I never do it. So I definitely read, I would to think every word that's in this book. Um, <laughs> not that it's that fast of a read, but I'm kind of psychotic. So I love it. I love that you share your personal story and how you got into plant-based eating and you really share what one part plant means and what it is, which is literally a label-free, healthy life with nutritious food. You were healed of your illness by living this plant-based lifestyle. 
So why don't you share with everybody kind of what, like what inspired you to write this book, but also the journey to writing this book and everything, everything about it. Just tell us. Okay. <laughs> well, the, the book is called One Part Plant and that is inspired by the idea of eating one plant-based meal a day. And I, you know, I, I definitely have noticed that since the book has come out, I have gotten some comments from people that say it should be all plant-based meals a day. Like, what are you talking about? Like you should be, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, maybe for you that 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 has done that for a while or it's easy for you, but for a lot of people, myself included, changing my diet was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I had so much emotion and history tied up with food that it wasn't just saying like, oh, you know, I think I'm going to have a smoothie today. It was me saying, oh, I'm not allowed to have that today. And, you know, food used to be what I turned to for when I was stressed out or when I was happy or when I was sad. And so changing my diet wasn't just changing, you know, carrots on my plate. It was like changing my whole mental shift of my relationship with food. So this concept to me is just, yes, it would be amazing to eat all plant-based meals a day, but one a day is just this entry point for a lot of people. And so, you know, and to backtrack, the whole reason why I changed my diet was I was faced with getting a hysterectomy when I was 33. I had multiple surgeries because of my endometriosis and it just got to the point where nothing was making me feel better. So a doctor suggested that I get a hysterectomy. I got a second opinion and they also said the same thing. But before I got it, a friend sent me an email about how a plant-based diet could help endometriosis. I mean, she went and she did research. She, she took it upon herself to do this. And she sent me a link to this website and I thought I had nothing to lose and I tried it and then I never got the hysterectomy. I want, I want to make it very clear that there is no cure for endometriosis. I, I, you know, no matter how many, you know, plants I eat, I will never not have endo. But what now I'm able to do is manage the symptoms, which is, you know, the key to most chronic illness. I completely agree with you. And I love that you found healing through plant-based foods. And I also love that regardless of people telling you that your book should be about 100% plant-based diets, which of course, I'm not surprised that, that there was that type of feedback, that that's not your take. That's not how you tell people to eat or that you tell people to eat a certain way at all. And I think yeah, that's and really I mean, cool. I, I will tell you, like, I like to be clear, like, I do eat a completely plant-based diet, but it has taken me a while to get to this point. And it's also a very big choice that I make. And that choice no longer has to do with being skinny or, you know, what is cool. I eat this way because it makes me feel better. And once you start to feel the changes of certain foods, then you have a choice. Like tomorrow I can go out and eat you know, one of my favorite foods that I used to eat all the time was I loved going out to this French restaurant to get French onion soup. That big crock of bubbling cheese and broth and bread. But 
I feel terrible after and my endometriosis symptoms flare up. And so I have the choice to say, do I want to feel good or do I want to be in pain? And it's, you know, it actually, as crazy as it sounds, it took me a while to get to that point to say, I'm choosing myself over the French onion soup. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a good way to make decisions about food too. Ask yourself, how is this going to make me feel instead of how is this going to make me look or this is just what I'm craving emotionally so I should jump for it. I think it's really, really, really hard to do that. So the fact that you make those choices on a daily basis and you're easy on yourself and I'm pretty sure the foreword written by Lena Dunham says it all about your approach to food because... Well, first of all, I'll just explain this to people listening um, for people who haven't yet read your book or your foreword, which everyone should go get the one part plant cookbook. (laughs) But the foreword is written by the actual Lena Dunham. And (laughs) she explains that when she came public about her endometriosis, Jessica reached out and gave her a list of some things that she could do holistically with food to treat her symptoms. And um, she was so, of course, you can imagine how many people probably reached out to her about that slash reach out to her about things on a daily basis because she does make her life so public and she's a public figure. And she was so drawn in by Jessica's tone and her positivity about the lifestyle. So it wasn't about these are the foods that you can't eat and this is the highest way of living and here's all the reasons why I'm awesome because I'm healthy. It was none of that. It was so much more about just like this inviting tone and this kind of you can have that stuff still like changing your life is hard and it can suck a lot and everybody loves everybody has their go-to foods that aren't healthy and it's not about like never looking at those again it's really more about feeling good and focusing on how fun it can be to actually get excited about vegetables and cooking healthy recipes and they can actually taste good and um that even just reading that told me so much more, gave me so much more of a glimpse into your approach to food. And I really like that because um, I obviously resonate with the balanced approach and I always feel my best when I'm cooking more at home. And that's kind of like my biggest struggle is getting in the routine of actually grocery shopping, cooking at home, prioritizing it and making that sort of time. So I'm really excited to dive in and make a bunch of your (laughs) recipes because they've inspired me to to make that more of a priority again because I, living in LA, I have a lot of options to eat out and eat healthy. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's my go-to. Yeah, it's it's funny because my sister, Alyssa, texted me a couple days ago and she said, I'm menu planning from your book today and I need basically three ingredients and a whole bunch of vegetables. She's like, this works. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, it, it made me feel good to know that, you know, you can make a cookbook in your kitchen. You can work with a cool publisher. You can get a celebrity to write the endorsement, but I want this thing to work for people. Like yeah. I don't just want pretty pictures. I want you to be able to buy it and make your shopping list for the week and see that you don't have to buy that much food. 
And, you know, it was important to me for this book to be really approachable and to get someone like you to, you know, that knows this stuff, but to still get more excited about food. And then for someone that has zero knowledge about this stuff to feel like they can do it. So I'm glad that that resonated with you because I just want this thing to be easy for people. Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head with that because that was really my first thought as I was reading through the book and really consuming everything that this book is about is that I'm learning something and that's saying a lot because I certainly don't know everything at all. But when it comes to healthy cookbooks, I've seen a lot of them. And <laughs> yes, I'm, I immediately upon opening this book learned a lot about you and your approach and this approach that actually is already re-inspiring me to get in the kitchen and giving me specific reasons like, oh yeah, I feel good too when I eat a lot of plants. Oh yeah, I haven't been doing that as much lately. Like maybe I should do that again. And right. so I think first of all, that's awesome. I think everyone who reads that will feel that way. I think it's interesting that you said that, that you know about that stuff, but you needed a reminder. And I, I don't know what it is about us as people. I'm not going to even say as women, as people that we know the stuff that makes us feel good, but somehow we forget about it or we don't take the time to do it. Like I know I feel best when I jump on my rebounder or I know I feel best when I, you know, drink at least some type of green thing a day or this, my favorite workout class, but I could go for two weeks and not do one of those. And it's almost like I forget how amazing I feel after. Like, it's weird that we do that, right? It's really weird. It's really weird. (laughs) I'm with you. I have this self-care routine that I know works so great for me. And I have grand plans every single week to do that, to go into the week and actually do my whole morning routine of all the things, not looking at the phone in the morning, um, doing some journaling first thing, meditating, stretching, bulletproof coffee, green tea, um, all of that stuff before starting my day. And then of course, always getting my yoga in and eating well. And next thing I know, I'm so overbooked by my own doing that all of that kind of falls to the wayside. I'm getting postmates of food around Los Angeles, healthy, of course, but it's not homemade, which is so Mm -hmm. different. Um, I personally feel, and I know that I feel so much better when I have home cooked meals. Um, at least, you know, not every single meal because that's not realistic for me. Um, but at least a lot and I haven't been doing it as much. So I do find it really interesting. I think just as humans, we, even when we know what works for us, we don't always take into account how incredibly important it is to stick to that and how much it will mean for us to stick to it. I think we try to just be the most productive and save a bunch of time and think, well, taking care of myself isn't actually a priority. All these other things are priorities. And I think the more we can remember that taking care of ourselves is the only priority because we can't do anything until we do that. 
we can't accomplish anything. We can't take care of anyone else. Um, I mean, for you, you have a son, like you have to take care of yourself so that you can take care of him. And I think it's really important for people to remember that. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, it's like what, cause like (laughs) when you were talking about the meditation thing, I, for some reason, like two days ago, remembered how great meditation makes me feel. I'm like, how are you remembering that and not just doing it every day? Yeah, same. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to my world. It's true. It's like so weird. It's like, wait, you have this amazing thing in your back pocket that you're not doing. And, And it's not like I'm the type of person that says, oh, I can't meditate or meditation doesn't work for me. It's like, oh no, I know it works, but just for some reason, I'm not doing it. Yeah, I know. I think it's an important <laughs> takeaway for us and for everybody listening to just like, just know that that kind of stuff is a priority. Just like, I mean, I think like if you're a creative person, it's the same type of um, concept to remember that journaling or free writing is productive. And for me, Every day I'm like, ah, I shouldn't do that. That's not productive. I should actually uh, work on my emails and get back to people. And the more productive thing for me is to take like an hour to just free write because it gets my mind moving. That's the only way I will ever be able to write my next book, my blog, all that stuff. But I think it's just hard for us, us go-getter type of people slash everybody to remember that these self-care things are productive. They're actually productive and they will get us to like everything that we want to accomplish. So it's true. It's hard. That's why I've blocked out after I'm talking to you today. I'm going to this event. Um, it's like a Reiki event. Mm-hmm. It was like an hour of Reiki, which I've never done, which kind of surprises me. Um, and I'm kind of like, uh, it's far, it's a drive. Should I really be taking the time? But I'm going to do it because I, I know myself and those kinds of things. If I actually take the time and if I actually really like this type of healing practice, which I probably will, it'll be really inspiring and I'll be really glad to have done it. Right. But you're also probably thinking, I've got 50 emails. I could be doing another blog post. I could, you know what I mean? But it's like, you're making that choice today to do that. 100% completely. (laughs) So, okay. Moving on to other parts of your book before we move on to other things, because there's a lot of elements of the book I want to touch on. So I loved that you mentioned in your frequently asked questions section, how much you love frequently asked questions questions because I feel that way too. And I love that you do because I feel like it just, I just love how open in your book you are with everything that you enjoy. I think it immediately makes the reader more excited to read your FAQs. Um, and they were great. And then also the acknowledgement section was amazing. And I love, I love, I think acknowledgement sections of books really say a lot about the author and yours was just fabulous. I literally laughed out loud when you referred to Sarah Pasek as a bodyguard. <laughs> because she is. She is. And um, it's phenomenal. So my question for you is, what was your favorite part of the book to write? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I think that 
I really did write like I really did like writing the acknowledgments. It did give me anxiety to make me feel like I was missing someone, but at the same time, I can't thank everyone that I've known since second grade, even though I wanted to. So I tried to just stick to, you know, people that legit helped with the book, like recipe testers and things. But I also I really enjoyed doing the head notes for every recipe, which is and if people don't know what a head note is, it's basically it's that little paragraph before each recipe. And I made them very personal and conversational. And at first, as I was writing them, I was thinking, is this too conversational? Like instead of writing, you know, I talk about how a doctor used to fat shame me <laughs> for eating mashed potatoes for the oh mashed potato God. recipe. Like, should I instead be talking about the rough texture of the skin of the potato? Like, that's, I think, how most head notes are. I just don't really know how to write that way. So I just decided to write them in the way that I knew how to. And so to me, that was kind of fun to come up with a story for each or like at least some sort of anecdote for each recipe. Yeah, well, you did a really good job with that. And I personally would prefer to read the conversational head notes any day over the technical uh, texture, all of those types of recipe head notes. So, and I think that that's what your audience wants from you. I mean, you're a, you're a blogger, podcaster, people want to hear your voice and that's what makes your book so special. So I think that that, that works for you for sure. Do you consider me a blogger? Yeah, I do. You do? I don't, but that's the thing is like, I don't ever post on my blog because, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I don't really post on my blog unless I maybe do it like once every couple of, well, I do it once a week. I do a roundup of recipes, but similar to what you said about uh, blogging less, I did a little uh, thing on my newsletter where I asked a question to all the people that read my newsletter. I said, why do you come here? What do you like about the site? Like, what 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 do you want to see more of? What do you want to see less of? And 95% of people that responded said, I don't go to your website. I only listen to your podcast. It's like, okay, this is good to know. <laughs> Spend less time on my website wow. and spend more time on the podcast. It was just a huge, you know, and, and, but then I did feel a sense of guilt of like, should I be posting there more? But it's like, if the people are saying they don't go to the website, then why am I investing time into the website? I only have so many hours in the day. And so what is that guilt from? That guilt is just me projecting it on from something else. You know, it has nothing to do with them. So I was just curious if you do consider me a blogger, because I mean, my mission in life is to not have a blog. <laughs> it's just to like have a podcast and, you know, do things in real life because I just, I don't know. I, I, when I started that website, I never intended it to be a blog. Like I just wanted it to be a hub of information. Yeah. Well, that's really cool to hear that, that that's what, I mean, you know what people are coming to you for and you know what type of content resonates the most with people. See, I consider 
I, I consider people bloggers who don't necessarily blog. I consider influencers to be bloggers. And I think you're a podcast influencer, you're a social media influencer. And I think you blog also via Instagram, which I do too. Oh, okay. So I like taking okay. people along in your life and kind of um, sharing like you're sharing your cookbook tour right now and you're sharing lots about your life. And I think people can learn about you from following you on social media. And so I kind of use blogger as a very wide term. Like I can, I, I know some bloggers, quote unquote, I call them bloggers who don't have websites, but they blog the shit out of their lives on Instagram. (laughs) So I, I don't know. And I think like now that I'm deviating toward actually writing legit blog posts less and less and less, I blog on social media. So I kind of like tell people everything I did in a day sometimes just in the caption of a photo. And so I think we have to be kind of like lenient when it comes to that word. But also if your mission in life is to not blog and to just have your website be a hub, then I think you're doing a good job of that. Because really, your only blog posts I noticed when I was looking through lately are updates about other things. Your cookbook, your podcast episodes. And that's the way it should be. If that's what you're focusing on, you just want to have another place to let people know where they can find that stuff. Yeah, but it's like it's hard because right now with social media, and I I think I talked about this with Katie. Yeah, I talked about this with Katie Dalebelt. And I'd be interested to hear your take. But right now with social media, when you post something on Instagram, there is a 50% chance that your audience is going to see it. So if they're not going to your website, and they're not really maybe seeing something on Instagram, it's like sort of this feeling of like, wait, so how do I convey information to people knowing that they'll get it. And I think like for me, I stick to my newsletter mainly to to put things out there. But I mean, do you feel like that way right now where you're just sort of like... I think before it felt like, okay, if I post this, people will see it. And now it just feels hit or miss. Yeah. Well, I really like Instagram stories, the videos that you can do now, because I feel like those are... They're up for 24 hours. People can really have a good chance to see them if they want to. If they have any interest in looking, they have quite a bit of time to 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 look at it and watch it as more of like a story versus just like a tiny little caption. So I've been using those a lot. And then I've always just been of the mentality that different people use different things. I definitely have my readership that only knows when something is new because of my newsletter, which I actually don't use that much. But I do have people, um, demographic of people who only, only get content from the newsletter. Then I have people who only use Twitter, which is hilarious because I'm not very active on Twitter. But whenever I post something on there, they are made aware of it and they check it out. So I kind of just use everything. I just have to remind myself to use everything because I know that every single hub has an audience, even if it's small, way smaller than some others. Um, If I want something to reach everybody, then I kind of just have to do the due diligence of using all the platforms. So I like this. I like this positive approach because I have been very negative about it lately because A, I don't want to feel like I'm bombarding people with the same information. 
and B, I'm not sure it's getting delivered, but I guess that is a good approach to have to just say everybody looks at something different. And I guess if people see something twice, they see it twice. Yeah, then they know it's important to you. I think, I mean, you made a good point. 50% of people are going to see something you post on Instagram. I would say less. I would say like 30% because even engaged followers miss a lot of things depending on the day, depending on who else is posting that day or what they're doing. So I find mentioning something several times doesn't really... I don't really see it as bombardment. I see it as just like really getting the word out there that that's what's important to you. If it's not that important to you and you're saying it several times on several platforms, that's overkill. Um, But like your book, that's something to shout from the rooftops. And yeah, it's frustrating that Instagram's algorithm is different and it's an oversaturated platform and um, it's hard to reach people. But that's why it's really cool that you have a podcast with super highly engaged listeners and you have other places to spread your information. So it's kind of just, it's like the wild west of cyber space. You kind of just have to like... And I think that's why, I think that's why it bothers me. I think you just figured it out for me is that I feel like there's a lack of control and I don't like that feeling. Like I, I, I don't like the feeling where I'm working really hard on something and then it's out of my control in a way. So yeah, I think yeah. it's my control issues. <laughs> it is hard. It is hard. I think it's more conducive to someone like me who I'm super controlling in many areas of my life, but um, I'm very lax in others. And um one area where I'm really lax is like, I'm just not organized and I just kind of throw information (laughs) out into the universe. And so Uh I like the internet because I can do that. I'll just be like, oh my God, I want to tweet about this. I'm going to tweet about this right this second. Or "Mm, I don't feel like using Twitter for a while. I'm not going to even look at it for a week and a half. And it's not even like it's a conscious decision like that. But I like the internet because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of options all the time. And I think I mean, I think you do a good job of portraying things on Instagram and other things. You have such high quality photos of food food photography of your book and everything else. So I think you're doing the best that anyone could do. Well, thanks. (laughs) It's true. Um, So something that I cannot forget to talk to you about because we, we both have this. And I was reminded when I was looking through all of your podcast episodes, misophonia. Why don't you um, define that to people who are listening if they don't know? Yeah. Well, technically the definition of it is it is the hatred of sound. But let me elaborate. It's not, you know, the hatred of a bell chiming. It is the sound of someone shuffling their feet as they walk or someone chewing on pretzels or, oh my God, someone sticking their hand in and out of a bag to get things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's one of yours, but it really <laughs> oh, yes. Um, So it's it's these noises that people make. And a lot of times they have to do with food noises. I mean, I think a lot of people that have misophonia are triggered by that. But then there's another actual element to misophonia that some people have and some don't. And that is also motion 
of things. So for instance, yesterday I was on a plane flying here. I was in the middle seat and the man next to me for the entire flight rubbed his hand with his thumb. Oh yeah, I would kill myself. (laughs) And I just, I kept on, and when you, when you have this, you do this thing. And my husband is always like, staring at them doesn't make it go away. So I just, I kept on like staring at his hand, the way he was rubbing it, kind of thinking like, maybe that will make it stop. But he never stopped doing it. And you can't say to someone, um, hey, could you please stop rubbing your hand because it's really annoying me? And then when he got his drink, he got a soda and it was like he clicked it open like it was like so loud and then he when he was sipping it every the way that the ice was like clanking and then he'd go i was like i turned up my headphones as loud as i could it is just this and if someone's listening to this that has never experienced this before it's something hard because in your mind you're thinking just get over it like how does that sound bother you but there's, I think there's 10 levels of misophonia or maybe eight, but the top level is physical harm where you hear these noises or see emotion that you can't control your anger to the point that you harm someone. So this is like a, it's like, it's a very serious thing. And I, you know, here's the thing. There isn't a way to make it better except for basically removing yourself from situations or putting on headphones. But I will say once I found out that this is a real, like a thing that other people suffer from, I just felt so much relief. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm not just easily annoyed or I'm not just like a bad person. Like this is actually a problem that is out of my control. Yes. I get so much relief and comfort knowing that it's not just me. And I also love the validation because my family has always thought that I was just crazy and really particular and bratty for certain reasons. Because what you're saying about the hand thing, my dad does that. And so what he does, because my (laughs) my dad is like, my dad is OCD in his own ways and he's uh-huh. really OCD about cleanliness and everything is ridiculously clean everywhere. My house, but in and around everything that my dad does, if he's eating and there's crumbs on his hand, which I mean happens while you're eating like a sandwich with your hands, he has to constantly be rubbing his fingers together. It's like this subconscious thing that he does to make sure that there's never any crumbs on him. But he also does it in other ways. I don't know why. He just kind of like rubs his fingers together. It's like a thing. And this makes me so upset ever (laughs) since I was born. I mean, it makes me me so physically upset and uncomfortable that I just like lose it. Like I start by saying like, please stop. That's really bugging me. I need you to stop. And then it won't stop. And then I'll be like, stop it. I'm going to flip out. I can't handle it. I'm going to cry. Like it kills me. And and it, because this has been like a lifelong battle with him and nobody else in my family has misophonia or understands, like it's a joke to him. He'll be like, oh, and he'll do it. And he'll like put his hands in my face. And it's like, 
when it's like that, it's the sound doesn't kill me. I'm like, okay, right. ha, ha. Yeah. Or he'll be like, I'm doing it under the table and you didn't even know. So you can't even hear it. So you're lying. And I'm like, it's not even the noise necessarily. <laughs> it's it's the like movement. the whole entire thing. And it is the noise too. If we're in like a quiet car, which is, he does it when he's driving and it's hilarious. Ooh. I mean, it's, yeah, it's horrible. And then like, I mean, of course, people chewing with their mouth open. I might as well remove myself from the situation every time. Oh, yeah. Just like, like Mexican, Mexican restaurants are like a living hell for me between the, the chip crunching and like the way that people turn their head to the side to eat the taco. Like everything. Oh my God, yes. Oh my God, I love that you, yes. It killed, I'm like, why are you doing that? And there's like juice dripping down their face. I'm like, oh, I want to kill myself. I want to die. And I really could probably inflict self-harm because it's like so insanely upsetting to me that I just want to rip my hair out and die. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, this is whatever, I'll just admit it. But when there's someone next to me on a plane or a train or something that is doing that, um, bobbing their leg up and down thing, I don't oh, know yeah. if, like, when someone crosses their leg, I'll pretend to drop something and like bump their foot a little bit. So they'll stop doing it. <laughs> just just to give me some relief. That is so... Okay, you're making me feel way more normal because <laughs> I I do that too. Or I will just like... I'll just freak out. And, and planes are a breeding ground for that, for sure. Oh with God. all the things that happen. And I do the staring too. I stare them down in like a glare because I just think like you must catch on to the fact that this is absolutely <laughs> killing my insides. I'm dying. Or like when people are chewing with their mouth open repeatedly, I'll, I, it's like, especially if it's a friend and I don't want to say like, Hey, excuse me, your chewing is bothering me. Well, yeah, because they're not, I mean, that's the sad thing is, is like this man on the plane that was rubbing your his hand on his other hand and like your dad, they're not actually doing anything wrong. They're just rubbing their hand. Right, we're just crazy. Yeah, so it's just, <laughs> it's something where it's just, it, well, this is really funny. My husband had to leave at 4.30 a.m. for a flight a couple days ago. And I didn't wake up when he took a shower. I didn't wake up with him taking a suitcase downstairs. My eyes immediately shot open with rage when I heard him starting to clip his fingernails. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's a bad one. He, he thought it would be okay to do it because I hadn't woken up from all any of the other things. And I'm like, wow, my misophonia is so triggered that cutting fingernails, which is one of my worst yeah, triggers, um, it woke me up. And it's just like, it's just, it's, I, you know, it is something where I have just learned to remove myself from situations because I don't want to get mad at my brother for eating celery or <laughs> chips or whatever and have, because they do, they do sometimes get mad at me when I get oh, upset about it. So, you know, because I'm also, you know, I've thought about it coming from their perspective too, where imagine anytime you ate a chip, someone glared at you. Like that doesn't feel good either. So like, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of my hatred of noise 
So I just try to remove myself from situations or sadly, I know you're not supposed to eat with the TV on, but that's the only way that I can eat meals with other people. Cause like, I can't hear them eat. Yeah. I, th- I know. Thank God. I'm so excited <laughs> for my family to hear this because I am most certainly the same way. And probably some of the biggest fights I've ever gotten in, maybe not the biggest fights, but the most amount of arguments and fights I've ever gotten in with my family are over that, over noise. They're like, I mean, sometimes it's fine and we laugh about it. Other times my dad is like, Jordan, stop. We don't want you around if you're going to nitpick what everybody does and the noises that just happen. And I'm like, you don't get it. This actually murders me from the inside out. So it's, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a feeling thing. of rage. It, like it, it's ultimate it's rage. full rage that yes. you feel. And it's just, I don't know. There's that movie. Um, there's a movie about misophonia. I had the director on my podcast and it, it definitely like, you know, we laugh about it because it's, you know, I mean, it is, it does sound crazy, but this is actually, if you have it really bad, like these, a lot of the people in the film, like there's some people that couldn't go to work or just function in normal life because it bothered them so much. Yeah, so. that's scary. It's I I have to watch that because yeah, that'll put it into perspective for me because at least you and I can both function and we can laugh about it at times and when I'm with people who I'm not as close to as my family, I'm able to conceal it because I don't want to be rude. Um, right. <laughs> I actually had someone, this is so funny, when I was in Portland like a year ago, I was in a cab and I was chewing gum and the driver of the cab asked me to chew my gum like more quietly. And oh I, my God, I love this person. I, I know. And I couldn't believe it because on the one hand, I was like sort of insulted because I couldn't even believe that I was smacking my gum, like the people that I despise for doing that. But on the other hand, I was like, I get it. I respect that. Like you probably wanted to drop me off on the side of the road <laughs> if, if you didn't say that out loud. So it, it's just so funny. But like after him having said that to me, and I feel like in the setting of me being in his cab, it was like pretty unprofessional that he said it. It kind of put things into perspective for me in the sense of like, I've got to just let this go most of the time because I don't ever like, want to say that to somebody. Was, but what if he was a level 10 misophonia? Yeah, he I mean, could have killed me. Yes, he could have gotten <laughs> so mad at you that, that he, it could have affected the driving. So, you know his, I think the, his way of managing it was asking you to please stop. Right. I know. I've thought about it for a full year ever since it happened. (laughs) Like, I guess it's fine with me that he said it, but at the same time, it's just kind of to say to a complete stranger, it's so socially abnormal. But then again, but uh, how many strangers have you wanted to say that to? Oh yeah. Thousands in my lifetime. So I do have respect for the guy. It's just such a funny thing. And I can't wait yeah. to watch the documentary that you're talking about. It's, yeah. it's, it's so funny. Um, so misophonia, crazy. Everybody listening, if you've ever experienced that, you'll have to let Jess and I know so that we know that we're even less alone because all of yes, us need please. to band together and feel less alone about that because it's crazy. But another thing I'm really interested in 
with you um, being a podcaster, author, mom, wife, et cetera, is how do you juggle everything in your life? Because that is a lot of stuff to handle. It's really admirable. <laughs> you were pregnant when I think when you got your book deal, right? No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, Sid is adopted. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. So you were having, you had a newborn at, at the yeah, time. Yeah, I had right? a okay. newborn, but I, yeah, but I didn't. Um, yeah, Sid's adopted. And is that because of? You know, it's everyone thinks that I have an adopted baby because of my endometriosis, but I just didn't want to have a baby. <laughs> like I just, ever since I was a teenager and in college, I just always knew that I wanted to adopt. Like I just never wanted to be pregnant. And so I don't know if it was some amazing like act of some endometriosis angels to put inside my head, you don't want to have a baby because, you know, having endometriosis, you definitely have a difficult time sometimes conceiving. So it made it, it made it easy for me because I knew I just never wanted to have a baby. And so when they did tell me that I had to get a hysterectomy, I was actually okay with it. It didn't, you know, I was more worried about how much work I was going to miss, not that I couldn't have a baby. So, um, I'm sure that if I wanted to physically have a baby, then it would have made that much harder. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is, that's really interesting. And that's so cool. Um, so back to the juggling, you do yeah. have a baby and a book yeah. and... It's so crazy. I will say that the adoption process was definitely crazy in that mix too. Like even though I didn't physically have it, you have to do a lot for the adoption process. Yeah, I'm sure it is yeah. like a whole entire birthing pregnancy process yeah, in itself. Exactly. And I've heard so many things about adoption that is, that's so um, stressful and hard and scary and up and down because it's really not, it's, it's hard to find like a guaranteed situation, isn't it? Until everything is said and done. Yeah. There's no guaranteed situation. Like we definitely, we were matched with a couple and the woman was four weeks pregnant I'm sorry, she had four weeks left on her pregnancy. And then she ended up going past her due date by two weeks. So we were linked up with this couple for six weeks. They were texting us photos from the hospital. And then the day that we were going to pick up the baby, they decided to keep the baby. In my heart, I sort of knew that that might happen. My husband was really just... Just, I just remember him just like walking around with like a blank stare all day, just like kind of like what just happened. But then we got called about our son the day, the next day from like a random occurrence. And so like I celebrate the fact that we didn't get that baby because the baby that we have, like Sid is like my son. Like I can't imagine him being with any other family. So yeah. And you know, in terms of the juggling thing, I mean... I'm not saying that having a kid is a walk in the park, but I also think that, you know, I've had a chronic illness that I've dealt with for most of my life and I've had insane job situations and I wrote a book. And so being a mom to me is not any harder than any of those things. I mean, talk to me when Sid's like 16 and I might say something different, but 
I don't know. To me, it's just something else that I manage every day. And I, you know, it doesn't hurt that my child is insanely cute and funny. So I like my, my friend one time, she was like, Oh my God, I keep on forgetting that you're also a mom and you have to, you know, take care of a baby. And it's like, yeah, but for some reason, my husband and my baby are like the least stressful thing in my life. Like they're just easy for me. And I think, you know, it has a lot to do with who my husband is too. And going into us adopting a baby, we set some, I say we, I set some pretty big parameters for us adopting a baby. And one of those was that I still get to be alone if I need to be alone. Like a lot of times on Saturdays, like I'll go to a movie by myself or Dan will take Sid to the beach for the day because I need to be alone. And I, I know that might sound bratty, but it's just, I'm a better mom that way because I, I'm, I'm an introvert at heart, even though I have extrovert qualities. You know, I do love talking to people. And, but in order for me to refuel, I need to be alone. And I do not think I would enjoy being a mom without having the husband that I do because it is 100% 50-50. Sometimes it might be 60-40 for him doing more of the 60 part. Sometimes it's 60-40 for me when he's traveling. But without a partner that you do this with that is 100% on board to sharing the duties, I don't think I would have a good time being a mom at all. I'm just going to be straight up about that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's amazing that you have a partner that is your partner that gives you what you need and you guys are a team. And that makes a ton of sense a ton of sense to me. And I love hearing, I love when people know what they need in order to thrive. And that's kind of the whole gist of the soul on fire philosophy that I have is like, no two people are the same. There's really no right or wrong way to live this life that we're all living. So you really have to know yourself. There's nothing wrong with needing alone time as a mom. In fact, I mean, it's you're better for it in every way. So there, if anyone even thought there was something wrong with that, that's crazy. So you know who you are, which is really cool. And my hope for everybody listening to this podcast and everybody in general is to know who you are so you can be happy and not lose control and not have certain aspects of your life become so overwhelming that you lose your happiness. Yeah. And I definitely think, you know, there's a lot of women that want to take on all the responsibility of their children. And I think that's really cool. That's just not me, I guess. Like I don't, yeah, it's just not me. And don't get me wrong. Like Sid is like the true, like I love him more than any person ever aside from my husband and my family. It's just... I don't know. Like you said, I think you do need to know yourself and we have so much fun together and him and I have such an incredible bond. But I, yeah, I guess I like that. Just know yourself. Yeah. Know yourself. Exactly. I mean, it makes a ton of sense, especially for the introverts of the world, which I also am a very, um, social, social, extroverted introvert, but such an introvert. If I lose that alone time, it's not good. 
It's not good for anybody. And it's not good for my work or myself or my cat, who's my son or my life. So (laughs) (laughs) it's better that I have that. And I totally, I respect that a lot. And I love, I love that your husband and your son are like the least stressful aspects of your life. Because I feel, I mean, isn't that the way it should be? Like the people that you love recharge you just like your podcast probably recharges you because you probably love it that much. Yeah. And you know, I just, I just have always, I love my relationship with Dan so much. And I definitely have friends in my life that when we go out, they just talk shit about their husband the whole time or how he's not doing this and how he's not doing that. And I just have not experienced that before because Dan and I just really try our best to have a relationship that is very respectful to one another and also just, you know, knowing how each other is. And I don't know, just he he has taught me so much about just how to react to things and he's just so laid back and he just doesn't see a point in getting worked up about things because there's a solution to everything. And why would you get mad if we can figure it out? So I definitely think that, you know, especially when it comes to having kids, like, I don't know if you're thinking about having kids outside of a cat, but I think that it's just so important before you make that decision to think about how you want your family to look. And if you're the type of person that, you know, a lot of times women will say, oh, my husband's babysitting today. It's like, he's not actually a babysitting because it's his kid. But if, if that's the relationship you want, like, I think that that's amazing too. But it's just not what everybody wants. And I think a lot of women have a hard time admitting that that's not what they want. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's really fascinating stuff to think about. I mean, I most certainly want kids. I've always wanted a lot of kids. That's kind of just how how I've always pictured my future. But I've never quite thought about like my involvement versus my future husband's involvement. And all I've known for sure is that I hope And I think that the only person that I will end up with, um, the only type of person that I will end up with is going to be a very, very, very hands-on dad. Because I think that's just, that's what I'm looking for in a life partner and like Mm -hmm. a future (laughs) co-parent. Because that's so important to me. And like, I mean, in terms of like myself, I'm especially close with my mom and I'm very, very, very close with my dad, but my mom was the hands-on parent 100%. Um, And I think nothing wrong at all with the way that that was for me. It worked great. I loved it and and I am close with my dad, but I'm looking for like a super hands-on dad. Like I (laughs) want my kids to have this like, dad who's at everything. And my dad was at everything. I don't even really know what I'm saying, but I'm just in terms of like, yeah, my mom was just the go-to and I kind of want, I don't want it. I don't, I don't think I want it to be quite like that when I have kids. Yeah. And you know, it, I don't know what, what, if your mom had a career outside of the house, but I mean, I know for me, like I couldn't be on a book tour if I didn't trust my husband to take care of my son and change his diapers, like I I think it's not just, yeah, it's not just about, you know, waking them, you know, someone feeding them at night when they wake up. It's about 
me wanting to continue my career. Yeah, that's hugely important. And I think maybe that's what I relate to the most of what you're saying, because I don't ever want to stop my career. But I also know myself and I know that that child will take precedence hugely just because I'm, I think I'm very maternal. At least these are only things that I think. I have no idea <laughs> but uh, yet. But um, I for sure want to be able to continue what I'm doing with the balanced blonde world, however that evolves. So yeah, it's really interesting stuff to think about. And I'm inspired by all that you've just said along those lines because it's very cool very cool and you're an amazing mom and I've heard just such wonderful things about Sid from Sarah Sarah loves Sid and um, she's not a big like baby or kid person she really doesn't like kids at all but she really likes him so that's yeah that's He's he's a special he's got something in him that is different and I think a lot of that comes from his birth mom because she is so cool and she's actually, she's a Buddhist. And I think that some of her just cool Buddhism just seeped into his soul and he's just, I don't know, he's older than two somehow. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's cool that you have a relationship with his birth mom. Yeah, yeah. I I mean... She sends me texts for every single holiday. Like it doesn't like, it doesn't like she always beats me to it too. It's like, happy Valentine's day, happy new year, happy birthday. Like she just, she's on top of it. But there is just this mutual respect of she, she believes that Sid was meant to be our son. And so I can have this really open relationship with her because I think that if she was in pain, from this adoption, I, I think it would be a different story. Yeah. Because I, I don't think that we could have that relationship just knowing that she was still hurting. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it sounds like it was really meant to be all around, which is amazing. <laughs> well, I want to meet Sid someday. Okay. <laughs> Next time I'm in Chicago, which will hopefully be soon. Or is he coming to the Good Fest? Well, you know, I live in Charleston now. No, I didn't. <laughs> oh my God, you moved. Yeah, I moved to Charleston, uh, which is one of the coolest places. So you'll have to come there instead. Hell You've already been yeah. to Chicago. Yeah, yeah, I have been. And I actually really want to plan a yoga workshop in Charleston. And uh, No, I wait, was, really? Yeah. I have a few cities that are on the top of my list All that right, I've well, never been let's, to. Let's We'll talk after because Charleston is the jam. I think you would love it there. Yeah, I want your recommendations for sure. And I'll be seeing you in Pennsylvania in like a month and a half at the Good Fest. I feel like Philly makes it sound way cooler. I know. (laughs) Can you tell I'm such a West Coast person? I'm like Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Philadelphia. (laughs) I know Philly. Philly is where it's at. And it'll be my second time there and my only time spending more than like an hour there. So yeah, Philly maybe. makes it sound way cooler. And oh Philly God, yes. is, is a cool place. Yeah. I'm so excited. Well, I'm so stoked that we could make this work and that you could squeeze this chat into your crazy book tour, um, week, day, month, everything. Cause I'm I know that that's crazy for you and I'm just so excited for you. So, well, thank you so much. Yeah. 
Well, we'll talk soon. Tell everybody where they can find you before we let you go. Yeah, sure. You can find me at jessicamernan.com and on Instagram at jessicamernan. And also I have a one-part plant Instagram account to get inspiration for your one-part plant meal a day. Or if you want to do more than that, there's a lot of inspiration there. And then I have a podcast, one-part podcast. And then I also have a new podcast that I'm really excited about called The Cookbook Deal where I chronicle the entire year-long process of making a cookbook. And I will tell you that there is some dramatic moments in it. And I'm not like just talking about cookbook making. Like There is some crazy stuff that happened to my family. Oh my God, seriously? Yeah. And this is a podcast itself. It's not just a part of the One Part Plant podcast. Yeah. So it's got its own feed. It's called the cookbook deal. And what I decided to do is I started documenting the process when I met with publishers in New York. And I mean, it could have been one episode long if I didn't get the cookbook, but I luckily got it. And I recorded the entire process from, you know, like telling my dad, I got the book deal to us moving during a flood and recipe testing and and then some other stuff that I won't reveal, I'll let you listen to it. But yeah, each episode is around 15 or 20 minutes long. People, I did not say this. Someone else said this, but people have been saying it's the serial of cookbook making. That's so cool. I'm unbelievably excited to listen to it. <laughs> that is a brilliant, brilliant idea. And I'm imagining that Sarah must be a big part of it. Yeah, Sarah is definitely on two of the episodes. Yeah. Cool. And for anyone who didn't catch it earlier, when we mentioned Sarah is our agent, that's how Jess and I met. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh, I think even if you're not interested in making a cookbook, I think that you'll enjoy the twists and turns that happen. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like cereal already. <laughs> and I loved that podcast. So good. That was back before I really knew what podcasts were. And I listened to that on a road trip one time. But you're amazing. I'm so excited about all of this. So excited to share this with everybody. And we will talk to you soon. We'll have you back soon. It's a must. Cool. Thank you so much. Of course. 